Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org and the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjos Flores. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Narjos Flores, the Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. I'm your host for this episode of Lung Cancer Considered. Today, we will be discussing the treatment of EGFR-positive lung cancer in Brazil for an early stage to metastatic lung cancer. I'm joined by Dr. Juliana Ominelli. She's a Brazilian practicing medical oncologist in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She has extensive experience treating EGFR lung cancer. She practices at DASA Oncology. Welcome, Dr. Ominelli, to Lung Cancer Considered. Hello, Nadjus. And also delighted to have Dr. Victor Marcondes, a thoracic medical oncologist from Rio de Janeiro who practices at Oncomed Oncologia. He has led several trials in the region focusing on EGFR-positive non-small cell lung cancer. Welcome, Dr. Mark Condes, to Lung Cancer Considered. Hello, Narjust. It's a great honor and pleasure to be here today and to discuss this important topic for both of you. And thank you again for the invitation. We're delighted to be here. I always wish my Portuguese would be ideal to do this in Portuguese, but we're going to go with my English, which is still not my first language. So let's do this. How nice. <laughs> Before we start discussing the specifics of EGFR positive lung cancer in Brazil, let's discuss the current statistics about lung cancer in Brazil. Juliana, we're going to be referring to each other by first name because we are friends. What is the prevalence of the disease, lung cancer? And are there any groups in Brazil, for example, women, that are more affected by lung cancer? In Brazil, more than 30,000 new cases are expected in 2023. Lung cancer is the leading cause of death in men and the second leading cause of death in women, with 20,000 deaths in 2020. The vast majority of cases are diagnosed in stage 3 and 4, so advanced disease. Women have less cases than men in Brazil, but are, they are still going up the number of cases in women and with, in men, they are now going down. So it's, uh, we have to pay attention with the women in lung cancers. So that's very interesting. So we, in Brazil, you are seeing the same trend that we're seeing here, which is in which the, the incidence in men has declined, but in women has it raised all has stayed steady. Will that be a correct assumption? Yeah, it's it's still a problem in Brazil, and men uh, still smoking, but smoking less than they used to do. And women, they are now going down the smoking cases. So I think it will be uh, stable in the future. All right, so you are seeing changes with epidemiology. Thank you for sharing that, Juliana. Victor, have you seen any changes in the trends of lung cancer diagnosis in Brazil? Brazil is such a large country. Are there any geographical differences or challenges unique to the country? 
Uh, indeed, Narges. Brazil is a very large country with a huge difference in geographic, social, and economic areas. And though these factors have a large contribution to the different incidence rates that we have here, we can say that in Brazil, we are observing a trend over the last years in an increase in the incidence of adenocarcinoma, if you compare that with the scheme of cell carcinoma. This is according to data from Matthias, that's a leading thoracic oncology in Brazil, that you also know. And um, we can say that uh, when we look at the geographic difference between the incidence of lung cancer, uh, in the south region of Brazil, we do have the largest incidence rate with almost 47 per 100,000 people. And here in Rio de Janeiro, that is southeastern Brazil, we face about 30 per 100,000 people incident rates. And in the other areas in Brazil, we have also very different incident rates. Uh, and it is very interesting that um, in Brazil, we only have about 28% of, uh, of the Brazilian population that have access to private health. So the other 72% rely on the public health system. So they have a lot of issues in getting uh, new imaging methods, biopsy procedures, and everything that's needed for an appropriate diagnosis. But um, uh, however, when you look at data from the Ministry of Health, Brazil has a leading role concerning tobacco restriction policies. And uh, in the last 30 years, for example, we had an overall decrease of 40% of tobacco consumption. That is pretty good and a pretty good example for other countries. Thank you, Victor. And you brought something that I think is important for our listeners to understand. And Juliana, you may help us here because the healthcare system in Brazil and my many countries in Latin America are composed of a private and then a public sector. Juliana, what are the difference between these two? And, you know, where do most patients get care? In the public health, Narges, everything is paid by the government. So exams, biopsy and treatment, but we don't have this for everyone. They can't, they, it's sometimes difficult to, to get it, to, to have the, the exam done, the biopsy done, and the better treatment, because it's a lot of people, 72% of population, and we don't have it for everyone. In contrast, the private sector works almost as uh, health insurance. So the patient pays monthly. And when he needs an exam or a treatment, the costs are paid by the, the health insurance, by the, the private sector, whole or most part. So it's uh, available for them, everything that's possible in the world. So it's a contrast. It's so different, the reality from uh, public health and private health in Brazil. So for our listeners, the public health is like the hospital run by the state. They don't have everything available. And then the private is when people pay out of pocket. And Juliana, all that also applies to like private insurance, for example? 
the price of private insurance, it's very expensive. So uh, not everyone can have it. And we have uh, intermediate uh, ways. Né? We have uh, health insurance that is not so, so expensive, but can't give everything for the patient, can give the better treatment, can't give the better biopsy. So it's uh, it's a, a almost a problem because it's they have treatment but not the best treatment. So that's it. it it's expensive to have a good health insurance in Brazil. So even the private health insurance are out of reach. Most people will get their lung cancer treatment in the public sector. Um, this this is a little bit off script, but. Do employers, for example, provide health insurance for for their for their workers, Juliana? Yes, yes, they they provide. That's that's very common in Brazil. That's a a, a differential for this job or another job. So the employers used to to uh, furnish to to offer uh, private health for the for the. The, the 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 workers it's very important for us because sometimes this these people would be treating the public health and with the, the the job they can go to private sector thank you so much juliana now we're gonna dig into egfr mutant lung cancer in brazil i think it was important to have you know that basic information because uh, lung cancer considered is uh, has listeners all across the globe so victor how prevalent is EGFR mutant lung cancer in Brazil? What percentage of patients have this mutation? Uh, we have some data from papers by Matthias that uh, EGFR mutations frequency are found in about 90% of all lung cancers. And when you go to only stage 3B for adenocarcinomas, it gets about 25 to 30%. So if we, we use the uh, the less populational data from Brazilian National Cancer Institute, where we had in Brazil in 2022, 32,520 new lung cancer cases, we can say that we had about 3,200 uh, EGFR mutated new cases. And uh, when you look deeper, we know that about 90% are the ones by the classical mutations, and the, the remaining 10% are the exon training surgeons. So this is the landscape of EGFR uh, mutations in Brazil. So that what it caused my attention is that's higher than the percentage of patients we see, for example, in the United States. So the frequency of EGFR mutant lung cancers, the prevalence is higher in Brazil compared to the U.S. population. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, we we do not have an, an, a formal explanation. I think uh, no one has had a, a look uh, on this data, but we also had some uh, Asian immigrants in in the past, in the uh, 19th century. So maybe we have a, a bigger incident due to, to immigration in the past, but we, we do not have this formal 
study for, for to give you uh, for people uh, some data on this. And, and I think it's very valid, right? Brazil is a very large country and it's very racial, racial and ethnically diverse. So you know, compared to migration for everywhere, Europe, Asia, Africa, uh, in different parts of Europe. So I think it's very interesting to me that there's a higher frequency and I think further research is probably needed. So to provide the appropriate treatment for patients with lung cancer, biomarker testing is essential. Juliana, how is biomarker testing done in Brazil? If you can walk me to a case, for example, we have a 42-year-old female with newly diagnosed lung cancer. How do you do the biomarker testing and what is the difference between the public sector and the private sector when it comes to biomarker testing? Not just in Brazil, the EGFR test is expensive. So it's offered by the pharma uh, and they have a, a consortium program that can offer the patient foundation, for example, or, or even uh, test a specific test, EGFR, ALK, ROS, and PDL1. So we depend on uh, the program the, from pharma consortium, but each patient can do it only once. So we have to think when offer the patient, when is the best uh, time to offer the patient the foundation, for example. So if the patient has uh, initial disease, I will not offer foundation because I can need this later or in another time. So I, I do the the linear panel and not block the, the foundation for, for him. Uh, the pharma consortium program can be used in public sector patients, but it's hardly done because we don't have target therapies or immunotherapy in the public sector. And not everyone will think that this patient can be included in a clinical trial, for example. And I have the problem, if I don't have the drug, if I test, I will tell him that I will test to, to offer a drug and we, I don't have this drug. It's, it's a little problem for, for the public health, you know? So we almost done the, the test for, for private sector. For the, the 40 years uh, woman with lung cancer, I would offer in the pharma program. I would try the pharma program consortium for her. So this pharma program is an alliance of companies that are paying for biomarker testing for patients who cannot afford it. Is that correct? It's paid for every patient. Even if the patient had the money to pay, it's a little bit difficult to explain him that he will do a test that can give him an opportunity to have a drug, a specific drug, or not. In Brazilian, it's a little bit difficult to, to the patient to understand this because it's very expensive. It's like 10,000 reais, 15,000 reais, and it's not all patients that can pay for it or can, can have this kind of exam. So we do the, the pharma test the offered by, by the pharma. Okay, so there's an alliance that we help with the biomarker testing. And, and Juliana, is this next gene sequencing or this is like a target testing? It's a, a next, an NGS test for, okay. for him. It's an NGS, the, the foundation, uh, the, the, the whole NGS panel. But we have uh, small tests, only HFR, only ALK, that's uh, the PCR. Okay, and Victor, 
Any comments about biomarker testing? How do you work these out, for example? I think we have the same challenge, me and Juliana. So when it comes to to test a biomarker, I think the first question we have to ask ourselves here in Brazil, if in case of a positive result, if the patient will be able to have the treatment, have access to, the, to that specific treatment. So I think in, in certain scenarios where we already know that it will be uh, very difficult to get uh, access to a specific treatment, sometimes we do not run a biomarker test. And uh, when the patient does, for whatever reason, a uh, comprehensive uh, test like a, an NGS, like foundation that Juliana mentioned, sometimes this situation uh, is very hard to, to achieve, even when the patient gets to the court uh, sometimes the treatment's not approved by uh, uh, by a judge or by the public system as well. So we try to to test whatever is possible to uh, to provide treatment for that patient. Thank you so much, and thank you for everything you do. You know, in settings when resources are limited. So, Victor. Now that we move, let's say the patient had the biomarker testing due to the alliance or out-of-pocket, what are the first-line agents approved in Brazil to treat EGFR lung cancer? And who can get these agents? Uh, we have approvals in Brazil for lotinib, gefitinib, afetinib, and zosmertinib as single-agent TKIs. And uh, as combination, we have bevacizumab or hamsirumab with ferlotinib in the scenario of the classical mutations. For the exon insertion, we recently had an approval for second-line abifentamab. And uh, these approvals are most accessible by the private sector patients and sometimes even uh, in the private sector for some indications like osmertinib in the, the adjuvant setting, uh, it is limited. And uh, in the public health system, only few public hospitals have access granted to first-generation TKIs. They don't have access to second and the third-generation osmertinib. So... This is uh, a resume what we have here uh, in approval and what we have in the real world setting. So we can say that you have access to like first generation TKIs and LC Martinet will depend on coverage or insurance and patients' uh, funds. Is that correct? Yes, this is pretty like this. Sometimes in the private health, some for some situations, we we can have uh, these other drugs that I mentioned as well, but uh, sometimes it's also hard depending on 
which kind of provider the patient has. And for example, Victor, if the patient is not, has EGFR mutant lung cancer and we're not able to get first generation or even third generation TKIs, what is the treatment option, for example? Do this, how do you proceed with the chemotherapy? Can you walk us through the case in which the patient cannot get that targeted therapy? Uh, yes. Here in the public health system, uh, when target therapy is not available, chemotherapy remains the sole option for this patient because even immunotherapy is not available in these cases. We know that sometimes we can choose some immunobased regimens for for this uh, for some situations like that but uh, we do not have immunotherapy at uh, the public health system uh, in general here in Brazil here on visa that is the department in Brazil similar to FDA in the US uh, Anvisa has some rules to help the access to, to the drugs that are not available on the markets. Like uh, uh, sometimes you in the US have an approval and in Brazil stands uh, a lot behind of these approvals. And um, there are three programs that Anvisa have that... Uh, can benefit patients in this condition. We have a compassionate use, expanded access, and positive drug supply. And in these cases, we can offer experimental drugs to patients uh, like uh, that otherwise wouldn't be able to get these treatments. But uh, as soon as the drug is approved in Brazil, these instances do not help anymore. The other patients that have newly diagnosed disease and have a medical need for these drugs, and they can't get access to them. Thank you for sharing that with us. It must be very difficult, you know, as a medical oncologist, knowing the data and sometimes not be able to have access to the drug how do you too, Juliana and Victor, cope with that? Because that's that's something that we cannot forget. ISLC is a global organization and we want to hear from everybody, right? Not only the people in, in certain regions. So Juliana, how do you cope with that when you know when there is no possible to put patients in this in the targeted therapy, you knowing that that may be the best treatment? We try to include this patient in the clinical trial. That's why we used to you work in the research department because it's very hard to see chemotherapy for HFR muted or ALK muted. It's very hard. Victor, and how do you cope with that? I, I think, you know, when I have the issues with insurance and everything, it is an extra layer of work emotionally and administratively, like administrative duties and burden. How, how do you deal with that when you cannot get the patient the appropriate target therapy? I think, uh, like Juliana, I try to refer the patient for a clinical trial. But as I said, as I mentioned earlier, like uh, we uh, also have limited access to biomarker testing. So sometimes you, you won't test 
uh, what do you do you have in mind that the patient will be able to get access and uh, try to use sometimes these possibilities that Anvisa can provide us, the compassionate use, the expanded access uh, program. And uh, sometimes they work uh, well. I, I can say that uh, my first experience with Osmertinib were a bunch of patients that were receiving Osmertinib for an expanded access program that we had in the Brazilian National Cancer Institute. It was the first time that they could uh, treat patients with Osmertinib. And uh, I think these, uh, these are challenges that we face not only for oncology. I think we face this challenge in the, uh, in the whole scenario of healthcare in Brazil. And so we try to adjust ourselves, our, our emotional, our feelings to, to the different situations that we face day by day. Thank you so much for sharing that. And this is a great segue, Juliana, to my next questions. Clinical trials are essential for the management and the advancement of science for EGFR positive, no small cell lung cancer. Juliana, can you discuss where the logistics or where are clinical trials for EGFR positive, no small cell lung cancer present in Brazil? And Victor, feel free to ship in after Juliana, because I know you are involved in clinical trials as well. So now this, the number of clinical trials in Brazil has increased substantially. It's very, it, very great for patients. It's an excellent opportunity, and especially for those with lung cancer treated in the public sector that you already heard. It's very hard to us to do chemotherapy when we have uh, target therapy, we have immunotherapy. So uh, for them, uh, for patients with... Uh, EGFR mutation, especially, you can imagine. In 2023, the best treatment I have at Inca, it's, it's first-generation TKI. So it's it's better to to be in a, in a clinical trial. And the control arm, at least, will be a third-generation TKI. So. But the advantage to, to participate in a clinical trial is evident to me, to you, to Vitor, but not for everyone. And patients have difficult to, to participate, to accept to participate in a, in a clinical trial in Brazil. They compare themselves to a laboratory rat. So it's very, very difficult to convince them that it, it will be better for them to uh, participate and have a better treatment. But we already had an out positive patient who would receive alectinib in the BFAST protocol, but he, he refused and preferred to receive chemotherapy in a hospital routine. Vitor, remember that. So we always try to explain, always try to look for a, a better cultural level in the family, a, a person with better cultural level. To, to help us, but it's very, very difficult in, to, to, to include patient in, in, in a clinical trial, to have the patient to include in a clinical trial. And when we found them, it's difficult to convince him to, to be in a clinical trial because they have a, a lot of, uh, it's afraid, they are afraid from, from the, the treatment. 
and to be tested with him and the treatment. It's a new treatment. You don't know how it works. It's very, it's very hard, <laughs> the, our reality here. I think Juliana has said uh, much of what I think as well. If I can add something, is that uh, uh, sometimes we we face uh, some some different situations, like uh, at Brazilian National Cancer Institute, where we we do run clinical trials. It's a public uh, health uh, hospital, so we have uh, trials for EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer in the first line setting and uh, we do not have any in second line for example because nowadays the first line is considered osmertinib so we we refuse protocols that have the needs of a filler in the first line uh, setting for osmertinib because we Uh, will not have these patients for the trial. So uh, we have uh, some first-line trials there, but uh, second-line trials will have to to look in the private institutions because they have the patients that uh, were able to, to get osimertinib in the first line. So we like living in a different world in terms of uh, clinical clinical trials. So talking about second line, um, are second line clinical trials mostly located in the bigger cities, Victor, like Rio, Sao Paulo, for example, uh, where the majority of these trials being conducted in Brazil for EGFR positive lung cancer? I think we have... Uh, two clinical trials that are opened uh, for recruitment ne uh, now for this situation, that is Mariposa 2 and Saffron. And uh, as you said, these trials are available in the big cities, not for uh, everyone and, and every state of Brazil. Uh, and it's as Brazil is a large country, it's very difficult for a patient to come from another state to have uh, this treatment. Some states in Brazil are very big, like uh, in the north region, that is the Amazon forest. Like you can, uh, they have almost the size of. Uh, The Eastern Europe, like a lot of countries that can fit into a single state in Brazil. So we found two options in the second line, and most of these sites are located near big cities. The patients uh, have difficulties to, to enroll in these second line trials. So there are auctions for second line, but they tend to be limited and I guess run in the majority of the bigger cities, correct? Correct. Okay. So the discussion has been so enlightening, but I'm going to ask now a few questions about early stage. Juliana, is third generation TKI available in the adjuvant setting for patients in Brazil? 
Yes, Nadia, thank God it's available, it's approved in Brazil and arrived really fast. Uh, so we can use it, but only in private sector. For the public sector, we don't have anything to do in the GFR mutated metastatic lung cancer, GFR mutated, imagine in the advanced setting. Uh, Victor, had you faced any challenges trying to obtain adjuvant targeted therapy? Yes, we even in the private health system, adjuvant ozimertinib is not totally reimbursed because we do have a list of what uh, patients can obtain in, in fully reimbursements uh, in, in neuro drugs and Osmertinib is in the list, but not in the adjuvant indication. So some private healthcare insurance, they do provide access to adjuvant osmertinib when they understand that this represents a standard of care that it's, it's worth to pay for because the patients will uh, have a delay in the progression and all the, the other healthcare expenses that are uh, that can happen in this scenario. They understand this sometimes. But if you remember what Juliana said in the beginning of our talk, that uh, some insur private insurers, they uh, do not grant access to every treatment or diagnostic procedures. For some limited insurers, they do not have provide, they do not provide was emergency being the adjuvant setting. But the patient can suit the insurance. When oh, they... yes. But... That's not the, the correct yeah, it's, way. It's a problem. But... <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it turns out to a problem, but some situations even uh, for that, it is, it is uh, more complicated because it's not listed for... Uh, for full reimbursement. So it's a difficult situation after all. Thank you, the two of you, for your time. So I'm going to summarize something that we, everything we talk, and then I will give you the opportunity to add something at the end. So EGFR positive lung cancer in Brazil has higher prevalence than the United States. Um, many reasons are still not clear why. Um, unfortunately, there's a division between the care, between the public and the private sector. When it comes to biomarker testing and also targeted therapy, even if the therapy is approved, uh, many patients cannot access. But clinical trials have come to Brazil to expand recruitment and provide auctions to patients. Uh, Juliana, is anything else that you would like to add as we come to the end of the conversation? Nargis, I don't have anything to add, just that we would like to do a better treatment to our patients, especially in public health, but clinical trial is a way to help them. So that's what I would like to say. And I think, you know, clinical trials are new for our culture and our people, right? So it's, it's, education is so essential that it is not seen like they're being tested and something experimental, but in many cases can be access to drug early on. Victor, anything else that you would like to add uh, to our conversation? I think the same as you both 
because as an oncologist that have much of my working hours dedicated to clinical research, uh, I think we we must remember to all our colleagues in Brazil that uh, here we should whenever possible refer patients to clinical trials, considering that is the possibility to give these patients an opportunity to have uh, a benefit considering all these challenges in in access. This was a great discussion, Victor and Juliana. Thanks uh, to the both of you for your generous, being so generous with your time, for everything that you do for patients, not only getting patients into clinical trials, but advocating for them and coming here to share with us the reality. Thank you for joining. If you have any closing remarks, this is the time. Now, just I would like to thank you for the opportunity. It was fantastic to be here and talk about our reality. So thank you very much to you and Yalski. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Arjus, for this invitation. It was a pleasure for me to participate in the Lung Cancer Considered as well. It is the first time that I participate in a podcast, so it was really nice. I think you did wonderful. And thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official ISLC podcast. You can listen to other episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and in our website, islc.org, under Newsroom. We hope that you will tune in regularly and give us a listen. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concert. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.